0: Well, good morning. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to First Samuel chapter twenty-five, we'll be where we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Bible class studying from the Old Testament text. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 that whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning and our understanding. And so what God is trying to tell us in that passage is, is there's some things in the Old Testament that were written a long time ago, that we can get application out of, that we can really glean a lot of good things from the things that He has written to us in the Old Testament. I want you to appreciate this morning that the Word of God that we have this morning is perfect. It is complete. I want you to understand, too, that God never sits around thinking, you know, I really should have put something in the Bible about this or about that. God doesn't do that. Because the word of God that he has given to us is perfect. The proverb writer said that it is perfect. The things that God, his statutes are perfect. So when I spend time in the Old Testament like we're going to do this morning, I need to be asking myself, what is God really trying to tell me in this passage? What is it that God wants me to learn from this passage? And so what I want to do is turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 25, and I want to Pick up a story that is maybe somewhat familiar to us, maybe not. Maybe you haven't spent any time in learning about this woman, Abigail, that we're going to study about this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, the Bible tells us, then Samuel died and the Israelites gathered together, I don't need to make sure my microphone's on, don't I? I need to hit this red button. All the way over. It says, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at the home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 3,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Skip down to verse 4. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Carmel to Nabal and greet him in my name. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. There, here is the scene that in David's life when David is not doing very well. You're going to see some things in this chapter that is, is pretty much out of character for David, if you would. David's going to do some things that's not in his normal method of operation. It's not something David normally does. We read here that Samuel had died and David was on the run from from Saul. And the truth is, is David is hanging out with just about every outlaw in the kingdom. You go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2, you find that everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt... And everyone that was discontented gathered themselves to him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Now if you go on into chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, you'll find that that number then grows to about 600 men. So David in this passage is hanging around some pretty shady characters. Those who were in debt, those who were discontented, those who were struggling in their life, they all gravitated to David. So by the time we get to our story, David is running with this group of really shady characters. Now one of the characters in our story, we kind of skipped over in verse 3 there, is a man by the name of Nabal. The Bible says that the man whose name was Nabal and the name of his wife was Abigail and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings. And he was of the house of Caleb. So we're introduced to Nabal, who is a very rich man. He had about 3,000 sheep. But the Bible tells us that he was very harsh and very evil in his dealings. Now the contrast in this passage is that we find that Abigail, David's wife, was the complete opposite of him. What we learn about her is that the Bible says she was very attractive. And not only that, she was very intelligent. Now, I can tell you this much. The Bible is full of women that is described as being beautiful women. You look at at Sarah in the Old Testament. You look at Rachel in the Old Testament. You look at some of these women like Bathsheba in the Old Testament, and the Bible describes them as being very beautiful women. But i got to tell you this, I don't know of anybody else recorded in the Scriptures that is described as being both intelligent and beautiful. Now guys, you remember when you met your wife. You remember, you thought to yourself, I finally found the one that is not only beautiful, but she's smart too. You remember that, don't you? Nod your head. (laughs) Because she's looking at you out of the corner of your... I'm trying to help you out here, so... (laughs) You remember that and you remember what it was like. And so this is the type of woman that we're talking about. A woman who was both intelligent and she was smart and she had it all together. Now our story tells us that Nabal was shearing his sheep and that David sends some young men to Nabal to ask him for some provisions. Notice verse 6 of our reading in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears, and your shepherds were, were with us, and they did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them, all the while that we were in Carmel. Now ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. And we come on a a feast day. Please, whatever comes to your hand, to your servants and to your son David. So what David is asking is, is, can you give us a few things? And what it sounds like to me is David is doing the community a kind of a service here. He's kind of involved in some policing among the, those who were rich at that time. He's kind, of, he's kind of built a wall around the rich. And he's eliminated what we would describe back in the Old West as, you know, there would be those who on cattle drives would be cattle hustlers. Evidently, they had sheep hustlers at this time. And David was saying, look, While our men was in the territory, what we did is we protected the things that you had. Now he was simply saying, we've done you a service, can you help us out a little bit? And we must understand as we read the text of this passage that it was a festive day. It was probably the springtime of the year when a time that, that shepherds would have came together and it was time to take off the winter wool of the sheeps. And it was a it was a time of celebration. It was a time of laughter. It was a time of feast. It was a time to rejoice because people were going to be making money. They were going to be feasting. And what's interesting to me as I read the Old Testament about the Jewish law is God often made provisions for those who were less fortunate. We read in Leviticus chapter 23 that one of the, law, the Old Testament laws that, that, that they made for those who were poor is, is that they told the farmers who were harvesting their crops, carve out the corners of the crop, leave the corners of the crop For those who are less fortunate, let those who don't have a lot of things harvest the corners of your crops. You leave that portion for those who are poor. The Old Testament was very friendly to those who didn't have things. And so David's request here was not extraordinary. It was a rather small request. What can you help us with? Is there anything that you can give us to help these men out? I mean, we're hungry. We're starving. We're out here in the wilderness. We're running from Saul. What can you what, what can you give us? I want you to watch what happens when these men get to Nabal in verse 9. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David And they waited. You ever notice that in that reading of that text? The Bible says that they came to Nabal and they delivered the message of David. And the Bible says that they waited. He doesn't turn around. He doesn't look up. He doesn't acknowledge their request. Have you ever known anybody that's treated you like that? as though you don't even exist, as though you don't matter. And I don't know if it was ten minutes or if it was a couple of hours or if it was a couple of days. But as I look at the context of this passage, let me ask you a question here. How would you respond if ten strangers came to you on a day that your family is celebrating something, or having, let's say, let's, let's just use the example of a, of a family reunion. How would you respond if ten strangers came to you and they asked if they could have some of your food? What if you knew that these were the same people that were in debt and they were in distress and they were discontented and they were really the riff raft of the community? They were the losers in society. I want to show you the way that Nabal reacts in verse 10. The Bible says, Then Nabal answered David's servant and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays that break away from each of their masters. So I, so I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men whom uh, when, when I do not know where they have come from? What was Nabal's response? And Let me tell you something. When Nabal says, who is David? Not, he, well, let, let me tell you what Nabal's not saying. He's not saying, I, I've never heard of David. He's not saying, I don't know who David is. What Nabal is saying there, and I'm going to tell you something. When you think about who David was at this particular time, David had already killed Goliath. They had already written songs about David. They sang songs about how Saul had killed his thousands and David had killed his ten thousands. So everybody knew who David was. David would have been a rock star at that particular time. Nabal knew who David was. Nabal's wife Abigail knew who David was. If you look down in verse 29, she even refers to a sling and and to and, and, and there's kind of a hidden understanding there that she's talking about uh, the time that David had killed had had killed Goliath. So when Nabal says who is David? He means who is David to me? Why should I pay attention to David? What difference does David make to me? Did you also catch the way that he insults David's servants as well? There's all kinds of people out there breaking away from their masters and there are all kinds of losers out there and you expect me to take my money and my meat and the things that I've worked for and all of the blessings that I have and I've worked so hard for and give it to people whose origins I do not know? Now well, let me ask you this. Is Nabal's response unreasonable or does that sound like to you something that would be reasonable? And I ask that from a very sincere perspective because I can't tell you how many times that I personally have fought the same way as Nabal in this passage. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. I've lived there for the last 30 years of my life. And I can tell you this, I cannot take my family downtown without being approached by somebody who's homeless or destitute or have reached a hard time in their life who says to me, can you give me anything? And I can't tell you the number of times that I personally thought to myself, you expect me to take what I've worked so hard for and give it to somebody who I don't know the origin of where you're from? I've got to tell you, brethren, I've got to be reminded that this is the spirit of Nabal. The spirit of Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 5, tells us that we ought to be willing to give to someone who does not or has not the capability to give to us in return. I know somebody's going to say, well, we've got to show wisdom. And, and we just can't be enablers to people in society. And, and, and I get all of that. And I understand all of that. And I know that we've got to have some wisdom in how we handle our money and things of that nature. But I just want to make the point that Nabal sounds a lot like me sometimes. And, and I've got to learn to do better. I've got, I've got to learn to guard against that. Now, I want you to look at what happens in, in verse 12. Let's read verse 12 and 13 of our text in 1 Samuel chapter 25. So David's young men turned on their heels and they went back and they came and they told him all these words. And David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supply. Brethren, David was so angry that he rouses up 400 soldiers and I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be a showdown. David's going to get this corrected. David is going to show this Nabal who he is. And while David's strapping on his sword, you ever remember the old some of the old television shows? They would show you what was going on over here And they would say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. That's the picture we have here. So while David's strapping on his sword, meanwhile, back at Nabal's house, I want you to think about what's going on at Nabal's house. And look with me, if you would, back in verse 14. It says, now one of the young men told Abigail, uh, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them, but the men were very good to us. And we were not hurt, nor nor did we miss anything along as they had had accompanied us. And when we were in the fields, they were a wall to us both by day and night, all the time that we were with them keeping the sheep. Verse 17. Now therefore... Know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against your master and against all of his household. For he is a scoundrel that that one cannot even speak to him. So over here you have David who has 400 men on the way to Nabal's house. And over at Nabal's house you've got a servant that goes to Abigail and he says... Abigail, he is such a worthless man that nobody can talk to him. Now, my question to you this morning is how bad does a guy have to be that a servant can come to Abigail? And can talk to, his, uh, talk to Nabal's wife here and call him a scoundrel and nobody even bats an eye. I mean, the guy is just that bad. I've been in homes like this, by the way, where dad is such a jerk that the kids can talk to mom and say, Mom, he, he's such a jerk. And mom doesn't say, stop talking about your father that way because I'm going to tell you something. The truth is everybody already knows it. There's something else implied in this passage as we look at this story and we look at this conversation is that everyone knows that if something needs to get done, who do you go talk to? You go to Abigail. And here's the man that comes to Abigail and he says, listen And know and consider what you should do. Now, women, let me ask you a question this morning. If you were married to Nabal and somebody said, there's an army coming to kill your husband. Know and consider what you should do. How would you handle it? I mean, you know that the man is a scoundrel. You know that he's worthless. You know that he's mean, he's crude, and evil in his dealings. And there's an army coming, and they're going to completely destroy him. And it says, know and consider what you should do. How would you handle that? Let me show you what Abigail does. Notice verse 18 of our text. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on a donkey. And she said to her servants, go on before me and see, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And so it was as she rode the donkey, she went under the cover of the hill and there were David and his men running down toward her. She met them. Now David had said to her, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow in the wilderness has, so that nothing was missed and all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. I'm impressed with Abigail. The fact is is that she knows exactly what to do. She knows exactly the way to handle this situation. I can remember when I was growing up when there was family issues in my grandmother's house. One of the things that she would often do is she would go in the kitchen and she'd just start cooking. You ever notice how good food just kind of makes people take a step back and realize that there's other things in life. There's other things more important in life. And I'm going to tell you, it's a sad commentary on us men that when a crockpot can avoid a whole war that's about to happen in this story, isn't it? That's a sad commentary on us men. There are a few applications I want us to understand as I, as I take a look at this story and I want us to recognize this morning. And the first application I want you to understand is is that Abigail had every right in this story to be a victim and she chose not to. Isn't this what we often do when God doesn't change our circumstances in life? We just throw up our hands and we just become victims, don't we? We carry heavy burden on our heart for years and years and years and we deal with extended illnesses that is accompanied by a long hospital stay or perhaps it is that we've lived in a tough marriage and we've done everything we know to do to make our marriage right and to work on our marriage or perhaps it is the burden that we're carrying is we've lost a loved one and it's tragically just just laid on our heart for year after year after year. There are so many circumstances that we wish God would change, but for whatever reason, even though we've prayed about it time and time again, He chooses not to change our circumstances. Let me suggest to you this morning that maybe God doesn't change our circumstances because He wants our circumstances to change us. Have you ever thought about that? You look at the example of the, in the New Testament of the Apostle Paul who came to God three times because the Bible says he had a thorn in the flesh. And three times he said, I pleaded to God, three times please change my circumstances. And God said, no. Why? You allow those circumstances to change you. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul goes on to say, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in the weakness that Paul had. Let me just say this. The life of a Christian demands, brethren, listen to me, it demands that we are victors in Christ. God doesn't want us to be victims. It demands that we are victors in Christ. Let me me give you a a New Testament passage to think about and to meditate when we're talking about this. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. When you're willing because of the trials of this life to stop and to throw up your hands, I want you to think about this verse. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You find strength in Him. And it may be that you need to let your circumstances change you. Just like Abigail. The second thing I wanted to point out to you this morning is, there's a contrast between the husband and this wife in the story. Have you ever met a couple like this? Have you ever met a couple that is just so polar opposite? Have you ever thought about the commitment that that takes when you, when you see a couple that is just so opposite? I've got to tell you, man, I, I, my wife and I have talked about this on many occasions. We meet a couple and we're like, "You think they go together?" You see that? I mean, how did that develop? I mean, I've, I've often wondered that. You see a woman who's wonderful and she's nice and she's always smiling, but her husband is just awful. I mean, he's always angry, he's mean, he's hard to get to know, he's hard to be around. And you wonder to yourself, how did those two get together? And I'll tell you, it's not always like that. I've known men in the church that's just as kind and gentle and godly. And I'm going to tell you, it just looks like a cloud of wisdom is emitting from their body. And you look at them and you think, well, I just love to be like that man when I'm older. And this man is just a good, godly man. And his wife, she's just as angry and just as mean as a snake. And you've got to scratch your head and wonder to yourself, how did that even happen? Where does this even come from? How does someone like Abigail end up with this this loser like Nabal? Have you ever thought about that? I think there's just a couple of options of how this could have developed. And I I want to throw out a couple of ideas to you and I want you to think about it. It could be that these two people got married and when they, when they both got married, they were both just wonderful people. They were both just good people and they obeyed God and they were going to do this together and then somewhere along the line, Nabal decided, you know what? This just isn't working for me. I'm just tired of doing the right thing all the time. Seems like I get taken advantage of when I do the right thing, and so this just isn't working for me. I tell you what, a guy like that decides, you know, you go ahead and do what you're going to do, but I'm not going to have any part of it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to. There's some self fulfillment I want to involve in. I want to do the things that I want to do. I have a very close friend of mine that lives in. Atlanta, Georgia. And he's a gospel preacher, been a gospel preacher since his early 20s. Him and his wife had four children. And she came home one day and she told him, I'm tired of being a Christian. I'm tired of having to try to do what's right all the time. I'm tired of being the example to everybody. I'm leaving you, and I'm leaving the kids. Are stories, not like, are stories like that not just heartbreaking? is that not just so sad when you hear a story like that? Do you guys agree with me that that's just heartbreaking? What is a woman to do or a man to do when someone, their spouse decides that they're just going to walk away from God and choose to do whatever they want to do? What, what are we to do? Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about this option? Perhaps it is that when both of them were married, they were both bad people. They were both just in it for themselves. They were both self-fulfilling people. They were all thinking about what, you know, very selfish people. And then one day Abigail realized, you know, I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. I want to change. I want to know God. I want to pray. I want to sit down and I want to read. I want to know what God wants from me. And Nabal, I want you to come with me on this journey. And Nabal says, you know what? I don't want to have any part of it. Have you ever seen that happen? Somebody changes and wants to do what's right and while they hope and pray that their spouse will come along and make the changes and they never do. Would you agree with me that that would just be heartbreaking? Now there's a third option that I want to posed to you this morning and I think this is probably actually what happened here and that is is that they didn't even decide to marry each other this was probably an arranged marriage back in those days and I'm wanting to suggest you that that this makes this story even that much more complicated because Abigail couldn't say well I guess I've made my decision I made my bed I guess I'm just going to have to deal with it I guess I'm just going to have to just tough it out with this guy She could have looked at her parents and said, what on earth is wrong with you all? Why have you put me in this situation? It shouldn't be like this. Can I tell you what's wonderful about Abigail in this story? You know, I see Christians in one of the first two scenarios and they've grown so frustrated about their situation that they just want out. They just went out. They would do everything possible in the world to get out. And here you see Abigail in the most horrible situation. And she did everything possible in her power to make it work. Let me ask you this. What advice do you think the world would have given Abigail if they could have advised her? What do you think the pop psychologist of our day and age would have told Abigail? They'd have probably told him, look, you need to get rid of this guy. You need to find some inner strength in yourself and kick this guy to the curb. You need to get this guy out of your life. He's dragging and weighting you down. I'm reminded of the Old Testament story of Hosea and how God worked in Hosea's life. You remember that God demanded of Hosea, you go out and I want you to marry a prostitute. And you be committed to her. And there was times that Hosea had to go down to the city auction and buy his wife back from the slave traders. I look at stories like that. And let me ask you, based on stories like Hosea and Abigail, what do you think God's view is of a person who sticks it out with a spouse who isn't worth sticking it out with? How do you think God views that person? There is an old testament verse in the Bible that speaks to this in Proverbs chapter thirteen and verse twelve. If you have a pen, you might circle that verse in your in your Bibles, Proverbs thirteen and verse twelve. And here's what that passage tells us. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Have you ever thought about that proverb? Hope deferred. Something you've hoped for, something you've longed for, something you desired, and it's put off, and it's put off, and it's put off time and again. The Bible says that that type of hope will make our heart sick. But a longing that is fulfilled something you've prayed for and you've cried for and you've spent many sleepless nights desiring and finally it happens. It's like the tree of life. It changes everything about you. I worshiped with a man down in Hendersonville, Tennessee years ago that on the surface, on the outside, this man looked like he had it together. He was known in the community He'd reached the top of his organization. He was a deacon in the church there. Here's something I didn't know. Because of the stresses of his job, he began to try to medicate himself. He began to get involved in some social drinking. And within a couple of years, this drinking had taken taken over his life to the point that he had lost his job and he had lost his assets. He had lost his possessions. And I have talked to his wife, and I can tell you this much, there was nights that she sat by the phone and wondered if he was going to call. There was weeks there she didn't know where he was, only to find out that he was in locked up in some local county jail. And this went on for year after year after year to the point that she didn't know what she was going to do. How many times do you think she got down on her knees and prayed and prayed and prayed? And then one day, after spending over a year in a county jail, he came home and he said, I've had it. I'm ready to do whatever it takes for however long it takes. Hope fulfilled is like the tree of life. And to her, this was like the tree of life. Think about that. For those who have stuck it out in your marriage and you've hoped and you've hoped that one day finally you're going to see change. You know what this verse means. You know what this is about. Before time gets away, let me move on. I want you to notice a couple other things about this story. Notice Abigail does something that's very startling in verses 23 through 31. She chooses to approach David and she is so humble in her conversation with David. She takes on the sin of her husband. In the verses between 23 and 31, I want you, I'm impressed with the fact that six times she calls herself David's maidservant. Fourteen times she refers to David as my Lord. And the whole thing in this passage begins with her getting off of her donkey and lying face down in the dirt. Think about this woman. I mean, think about this for a moment. Women, if a servant came to you and said, You know, this scoundrel of a husband is about to be ran through by four hundred angry men, you know, you're in a tough marriage anyway. I mean, look at your circumstances. And there's 400 men that's going to be here any minute now to just completely wipe out this family. I mean, I can think of a lot of women today that I might have thought, well, my, my, the Lord works in mysterious ways, does he not? I think it's time to go visit my sister. And yet you see Abigail here get down in the dirt and confess, my Lord, my Lord. Forgive the sins of your maidservants. Did you catch what's said in verse 24 of our text there? On me and on me alone be the blame. Notice verse 28. Please forgive the transgressions of your maidservants. What transgressions is she talking about? Do you notice how unfair this is? You notice how unreasonable it is, this is, really is? I mean, she's taking on the transgressions of this fool. But let me ask you this this morning. Is this not the very thing that Jesus has done in our lives? He became our advocate. He took on our sin so that we would not receive the judgment of God. And so what you are seeing here in 1 Samuel chapter 25 is Abigail displayed the behavior of the cross long before the cross ever happened. Let me ask you this. What about you and your marriage? What about your family? And what about your friendships? And what about the things that could potentially divide this congregation? Who is going to step up and say, on me, on me, be the blame. I'm impressed with her for doing this. You know, another lesson I learned from her is is that there comes a point in in your life when you may be the only person to do the right thing. You ever notice that about this text? I mean, here you have her husband and you have the future king of Israel and she is the only one that's willing to do the right thing. I'm going to tell you, that's a challenge for each and every one of us. No matter what our circumstances are, we have to be willing to do the right thing. You look at David's reaction in verse 32 through 35, and here's what he says. He says, blessed be the God who sent you to me this day. Listen to me, brethren. I don't care who you are, if you ever see, I don't care if you're a deacon, an elder, a father, a brother, a mother, a daughter. I don't care who you are. If you ever see one of your heroes, the people you admire that's going down the wrong road and aren't thinking clearly, I want you to remember this story of Abigail. I want you to think about 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I want you to remember that if you will act bravely, sometimes people wait too long to do the right thing. You know, David even said to Abigail, if you hadn't gotten here, then things would have turned out much differently. But brother, listen to me. If you will just stand up and say to somebody, you're better than this. God's got bigger plans for you than this. Don't let this thing that you're about to do ruin everything about who you are. You stand there and you say it because someday you're going to stand in front of David and you're going to save his life. We need more Abigails. One last thing I want to point out to you. Here she is, still dirty. She comes home. She comes home after all of this big event. And you know what she does? The Bible tells us in verses 36 and verse 38 that Nabal was drunk. Still involved in the feast. Abigail gets home after a really challenging day and it's really scary and she's still dirty and she saves her husband's neck. She gets home only to find that he's drunk. And what I learned from this passage is what she didn't do. She didn't go in there and yell at him and say, you know what? I just saved your life today. You're a worthless human being. She she didn't do all of that. And so what I see from this text is that Doing the right thing sometimes is reward enough for those who love God. Doing the right thing is reward enough. There's going to be times that you're going to do the right thing that nobody's even going to notice. Nobody's going to pat you on the back. But doing the right thing is reward enough. I want to share one thought and then then we'll close. If you're the Abigail in this story, I want you to think about this. Whether it's a marriage, a relationship with a child, or a coworker, or whatever, a relationship in the church, if you're the Abigail in this story, don't stop doing what you're doing. But if you're the Nabal in this story, I want you to understand this. God doesn't put up with that for very long. You need to make changes in your life. Thank you for your, your attention this morning.